Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Some people talk to animals. Not many listen, though. That's the problem. Welcome to Animal Kingdom, the 209th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening tonight is courtesy of Winnie the Pooh author A.A. A. Milne. You may call me Ode. Mary Meat, my name is Gwyn. I'm Ode's mother, and I love A.A. A. Milne and Winnie the Pooh. Uh, my name is Jax. I'm Ode's brother. <laughs> No, seriously, I do. I, I love Winnie the Pooh, and I think a lot of A.A. Milne's wisdom comes through those stories. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about animals in religious and uh, mythological frameworks today. And magical. And magical. But before that, we have, as always, housekeeping. Mm-hmm. So do we have any housekeeping? Mm, nope. Thing that uh, I'll probably be around more often because I'm no longer in surgery recovery. That's true. That's right. I was gone for a couple of weeks because I felt terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like six weeks. <laughs> yep. Turns out, uh, contrary to Jax's irrational expectations, surgery recovery takes time. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that I was expecting it not to take time. I thought I would hit a more like, on all of the stuff that I was given, they were like, oh, you'll feel pretty normal in about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I hit two weeks and I'm like, oh, no, that's untrue. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it is everybody's a little different. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, those things are almost always wildly uh, <laughs> exaggerated on your recovery uh, underestimated, time. Yeah, yeah. Underestimating the recovery time mm-hmm. that happened to me too when i had my hysterectomy i'm like yeah fuck this i still find myself getting tired quite uh quickly yeah yeah ode was on um a zoom call for yes, hearth with, and grove with hearth and grove um i have to find out from them if there's because i know they were live streaming it to facebook so i have to find out from them if there's a recording of it or anything because because a couple of people have asked but i i'm not in the hearth and grove facebook group and i can't find it so i it's hard for me to figure out what that situation is but Jax has but a connection Jax does so i'm we're, we'll work it out we'll work it out to see if there uh, i can say i did listen to it and it was very 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 good so hopefully there is a recording because i think it would be awesome to share yeah it was a, an interesting talk about heathenry um but i think that's it for housekeeping yes Okay. <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah, I don't think we have anything coming up imminently, like in the next no, month. No, no. Okay. Other than No Drama November, so far yes. has been and excellent. And a great success. So we're we're very excited. About At least for us, we know. Uh, I have seen a couple of people mm-hmm. in our in our chat who have been struggling. My my sympathies go to you, and my candles are lit for you. Absolutely, always. That's it. Yeah, we we in our house have managed to have a No Drama November, and we are gearing up for a delightful December. Delightful <laughs> December. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So we are house kept and house swept. Hooray. So what was that? Uh, hooray. Hooray. Okay, okay. Is what it sounded like a hooray. <laughs> <laughs> hooray. 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 drunk December it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, animals. animals. Yes. This is one of those many, many topics that was suggested a thousand years ago, <laughs> uh, and that we're just now getting around to. But it's it's a very broad topic, so I expect us to kind of kind of lightly Skin. cover a lot of subjects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 
it's really hard. Just like there, there is such a, a broad scope mm-hmm. of animals in mythology, animals in folklore, animals in witchcraft. I well, mean, and not just the animals themselves, but the uses, the uses, yep. their and symbology, the their associations, the deities that are animals. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got several topics to cover, so we're just going to jump right into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. What I had started studying when I looked in this topic was specifically animal worship, mm-hmm. which is no longer a like anthropologically accepted term is my understanding. It is not a preferred way to describe religions because it has sort of a um, pejorative quality. I would say that's accurate because I've never once heard that term and I studied anthropology for yeah. years. <laughs> um, so so it seems like animal worship was sort of like the 19th century way mm-hmm. to describe that it. That very much sounds like the uh, what's called the armchair anthropologist perspective mm-hmm. from people in the 18 and 1900s who never went anywhere and got second and third hand accounts and made a lot of opinions about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the, the very Victorian England yes, anthropology. Yes. But it covers sort of a broad range of categories. So... There's theriomorphic religions, which are religious traditions where either an animal is itself deified or a deity is represented as an animal. Mm -hmm. So in that arena, you're looking really into like the Egyptians, Mm -hmm. um, some Native American traditions Mm -hmm. with like coyote and... Does that count deities that have like uh, anthropomorphized heads? Yeah. Like Ganesha. Any deity that has like a, a really strong animal features and, gotcha, and gotcha. can have an aspect. I of, just wanted of to animal. make sure because there is a difference between like mm-hmm. an animal and an, yeah. an animal. Yeah, yeah. But they're 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 sort of both broadly grouped under mm-hmm. theriomorphic gotcha, gotcha. Uh, religion. But then you've got some of the Greek gods like Hakati, like. Uh, one or two others, they can be featured with an animal head, but not always. Mm-hmm. It depends on the the reason that they're being invoked. Well, and sometimes I think those are um, cultural assimilations. Mm. So, like, we know the Greeks and the Egyptians mm-hmm. had cross-contact. So, to what extent are representations of Hakati with the dog's head mm-hmm. inspired by representations of Egyptian... An- Anubis. Exactly, or, because or other Egyptian under, gods. Right, because they were both underworld, mm-hmm. and dogs are very much associated with the underworld in both Greece and in Egypt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cross-cultural smear gets Ex- in the way sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, at what level is this an, an, uh, an originally Greek tradition versus... Um, a tradition that's been inspired by mm-hmm. interactions with another culture. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and I don't want to s- describe that as like, what's the authentic Greek no, tradition? Right. Because uh-huh. they're they're all valid. It's all authentic. It's, it's all just authentic. across a spectrum of, of time and place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, different periods, different regions, mm-hmm. different city-states of Greece. And then you also have, especially in cultures where you have more human-shaped gods, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they have associations with certain animals. Mm -hmm. So they're not personally represented as being those animals. Mm -hmm. They have animal companions Mm -hmm. or they're... Yeah, like uh, the Morrigan and crows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Hera and peacocks. Mm -hmm. Frere and his boar. Mm -hmm. And there's like an interesting split with that because sometimes the animals associated with the deity for an allegorical reason... Mm -hmm. Like, owls are associated with Athena because the Greeks thought of owls as particularly wise. Right. And Athena was a goddess of wisdom. Vice versa, away from the allegorical animal, you have something like Freyr's boars Mm -hmm. where 
There's not really an allegorical reason that we're aware of that Frere is associated with boars. It's just that for some reason in the mythology, his chariot is pulled by boar. Was he a hunter? Hard to say. Hard yeah. to say. <laughs> I, because I'm I wondering think if he was... some of one of those things that was just lost to it's, time. Yeah, exactly. Lost to time. But, but like... Freya's chariot is pulled by giant cats. We have no idea idea why. why. We have no idea where the cats come from. We don't know if the cats had any allegorical meaning in Old Norse. Did they have the chariot variation? Like, Nietzsche. Yes. (laughs) Freya, giant cats. Pull her around when she's when she's traveling. Love it. And so she's associated with cats mm-hmm. and is considered like like she likes house cats, but we don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Were there big cats in there in were those regions? Not really. There were. I mean, there are like a there's like a shaggy wild cat in Scandinavia, but but not like a big cat, not like a puma or anything. Huh. I mean, it could just be. You take a normal cat and then supersize it. And that's basically what it is. They basically just took, like, a normal house cat type of cat and made it big. Mm-hmm. Like, Chariot cats. Yeah, like, not like a big cat like a lion, just a, but just, just a, a large, large cat. cat. <laughs> and Swan asks, isn't it the Hindus who see cows as holy? Yes, that yeah. is true. So, so that's another thing. You also have just sacred animals. Mm-hmm. So cows in Hinduism are considered holy because they have an association with a particular goddess, but also because one of the things that they say about the cow is that it it gives more than it takes Mm. because cows produce many different kinds of food um, and many products that are useful. So it is forbidden to harm a cow. Mm. They don't eat cows. Cows are protected by law in Mm. India. Um, Yeah, actually, similar to that, when I was researching today, I ran across the fact that in ancient Egypt, it was uh, punishable by death to kill a cat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Oh, the cats in Egypt, they are... Yeah, and and that's another sacred animals Mm -hmm. situation. And that one, like... It's it's kind of a combination because there was was a sacred animal, but there was also a cat deity. Yes, Mm -hmm. there was Bast. Bast. Who was herself a cat, wasn't she? Yeah. Or that's how she's depicted as a cat? So she is both... A theriomorphic deity, mm-hmm. a, a deity with an animal feature, mm-hmm. and, like, is the patron of the sacred cat. Right. And they were temple cats, right? I mean, like, they were honored. There were temples that where cats were associated. I think the modern understanding is that cats hung around temples right. rather than that, that they were temple cats, gotcha. specifically. Yeah. Um, that's actually common, uh, I think, in... India today, mm-hmm. and also in I think Muslim temples, they they the cats just mill mm-hmm. around and they're mm-hmm. invited. Uh, open air temples tend to attract birds mm-hmm. because they have roof spaces for birds to nest in, and then the birds attract cats. Basically, is yeah, what happens. Yeah. But they are often considered. Obviously, depends on the religion because in some religions there are you know clean or unclean animals and right, right. or wrong animals to have in a temple. Um, but generally speaking, religions that have those kind of open-air temples that attract various small creatures into them sort of regard them as, like, just fixtures of the yeah. temple. Yeah. They, are, they are neither pests nor patrons. <laughs> just a part of the ambiance. Right. <laughs> you just go to the temple and you and leave out your offering and maybe a cat eats it and whatever. <laughs> and then you've got your invertebrates who are also honored because you've got snakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a snake is a vertebrate. Oh, It has okay. a spine. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. You just don't think of it because they're so... Yeah, no, you know, it is all very, spine, in fact. They're very bendy, but... <laughs> very um, bendy. I have a necklace made of snake vertebrae. That's true. <laughs> I have earrings. So that's a good point. 
But um, but like spiders are, you know, they they can be considered uh, a sacred animal, quote unquote animal, mm-hmm. depending on the mythology and the culture. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was reading is like uh, it's all kinds because you know as human beings we have associated and you know lived with right animals all, all the animals all the animals <laughs> and so you've got the fiercest of the fierce and the the huge that are revered right down to the to the, the smallest very, the very little idiot the very little idiot idiot spidious mm-hmm. insect you know that are can be considered sacred and then you have just the purely allegorical animal mm-hmm. in religion which this is not a physical animal it's not an animal representation. It's an animal that is standing in as a symbol for a quality. Like owls and wisdom. Exactly. Like owls mm. and wisdom or like the lamb of God. There is no physical lamb mm-hmm. represented by the lamb of God. The lamb of God is a concept. Because mm-hmm. lambs are seen as innocent and pure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And exactly. That's, that's part of the reason why they were like the prime sacrifice yep. for ancient Judaism. So I did a lot of research on animal sacrifice because I find it fascinating. So Jackson is our anthropologist. Jackson, (laughs) please talk to us about your animal sacrifice research. Okay. I guess possibly the, the, the first part to get into it is animal sacrifice is not necessarily what people assume it is a lot of the time. Usually what's being sacrificed is blood and bones and maybe some of the meat, but it's honestly more of a, like, the... Blood is for the gods and the meat is for the people. Mm-hmm. One of my instructors back when I was doing anthropology, uh, to, literally to weed out the weak, showed us a... Um, <laughs> oh, he admitted it. He was like... If you uh, can't stand this, you can't be in this program. Yes. He was like, uh, you can go out in the hallway if this is going to make you uncomfortable, but also you should find a different profession. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he showed us some footage that he took when he was working with an African tribe uh, for animal sacrifices. And because he was there as the rich white anthropologist Mm -hmm. he bought the cow that they were sacrificing but so in this particular culture only the blood is sacrificed to the separate altars of the gods to invite them down to be aspected and speak Mm -hmm. and then a feast happens Mm -hmm. in this particular instance uh, one of the gods got missed and someone had to very hurriedly in a panic sprint and go get a chicken (laughs) but yeah i i personally think that animal sacrifice is fascinating and incredibly valid people seem to get a little squeamish about it i think a lot of that is because of like the the western culture Mm -hmm. of um the industrial meat complex Mm -hmm. which which is a little bit less hands-on let's say it is. It's also much less humane in a yes. lot of ways. Yeah. So, like, in this animal sacrifice video that we saw, they held the animal in such a way and slit their throat in such a way that it was over in, like, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It was very quick. It was very humane. These people have been, like, training to do this for their entire lives. It's literally their 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 part in the ceremony mm-hmm. is this is what you do. You sacrifice the animals. They actually had aprons that were not allowed to be cleaned mm-hmm. as a part of the, the thing, so they were very stiff. But, yeah, I just find it... Super fascinating, and I love it a lot. Um, I know I keep saying that. (laughs) (laughs) On a different aspect, it's similar to animal sacrifice, but not quite so much. It's actually a form of sympathetic magic. In the Andes Mountains, if you are trying to get a practitioner to diagnose a problem, Mm -hmm. um, it's typical to have them cut open a live guinea pig and examine the organs. Because the organs are relatively similar to what's in a human. And if, say, the guinea pig's liver looks diseased, then that person has a problem with their liver and they need to have that healed. 
Okay. That's like augury from yeah. ancient times. Mm-hmm. Uh, are not because uh, augury is the flight of birds, but there was there's a specific yeah, there a kind specific of divination order. that yeah. is the study of entrails. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. And so it's something uh, obviously that's something that's held over mm-hmm. in this culture. And I think that's the thing. You know, we get like you said, especially Western people, we get squeamish when when we think about it, when we hear about it. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is the Christianization of the Western culture. Yes, it's very much the othering of things that are quote unquote strange and weird. So I. I also want to talk about this because I do suspect that the that part of that that Christian overculture thing mm-hmm. is a directly anti-Semitic response mm-hmm. because Judaism only permits you to eat kosher foods, right? right? Kosher meat, the animal has to be killed in a specific way, mm-hmm. very similar to that. Um, they're not allowed, like the animals shouldn't see the knife, the animal should be calm and not stressed, the animal should not be harmed in a any way. A respectful way. Exactly, mm-hmm. and it, it should have its throat slit, and it should be completely bled before you, you butcher the animal. And Christianity, there are, I believe there are even some verses in the New Testament they're like, we don't have to do animal sacrifices or blah, blah, blah. The, the Christian perspective is this directly anti-Semitic, like, oh, how barbaric. We mm-hmm. don't we don't kill our animals this way. We don't need to do this anymore. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be that the, you know, the, sac- the ultimate sacrifice of, of the Messiah supersedes and overcomes the right. need for sacrifice. But my point was, with this overculture, it, it makes, even if you're not a Christian, it's just kind of an, a, a Western ideology or a Western belief that to participate in any kind of animal sacrifice, to, whether it's, you know, from a, a aboriginal perspective or, or Haitian mm-hmm. or even Judaism this is you what know, it, with their yeah. kosher, it feels, quote unquote, wrong. And so, that's and I think that is I think that's a sort of an unrecognized anti-Semitism that mm-hmm. is leaked into our general Western culture from Christianity. It's right. anti-Semitism and more modernly it's just blatant racism because yeah. when you see depictions of animal sacrifice in film it's always some some part of a voodoo ritual and, yeah. and mm-hmm. terrible and mm-hmm. horrific and why would you ever do this? And or sometimes you see it in satanic rituals. Mm-hmm. So it's the mix of anti-Semitism, racism, and satanic panic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It really is. Oh, in the same region that does the guinea pig sympathetic magic, they also burn dried llama fetuses as a part of a specific offering during like a ritual time. Mm-hmm. But it also brings health and good luck. So in that area of the world around the Andes Mountains, it's not uncommon for open air markets and witchcraft stores to have dried llama fetuses. All of this goes to show that whether it's cultural or religious or mythological animals have always been and always will be vitally important to us because they're vital to our existence. Yeah. So this is actually... So of course they become part of our religious mm-hmm. and spiritual practices. Uh, yeah. I actually got a quote from an Australian Hel- Hellenic polytheist, mm-hmm. uh, Marcos Gage, who's talking about animal sacrifice in Greece. Mm-hmm. So in Greece, when these sacrifices happened, people would have been used to life and death. As a community, they raised the beasts themselves. They saw them born. They fed them. They treated them when ill. They killed them and ate them. There is an intimacy that only livestock farmers know today. We live in a time of decadence where our guilt for killing an animal is non-existent because the creatures are slaughtered somewhere else and we see their meat as nothing but a product. Mm. So I think it's that distance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so Roshala says, feels kind of squidgy. Intellectually, I say totally valid if done humanely, but to think about actually participating feels squidgy. That's got to be an overculture thing. It's exactly Mm -hmm. that. It's our disconnect from Mm -hmm. how our meat is produced. Well, and and we've talked about Guion Raven before. 
we've mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. his wonderful book, uh, The Magic of Food, in that he does discuss, you know, honoring where your food comes mm-hmm. from, whether it is from an animal or, or a, a vegetable, plant. a plant, a, a, yep. you know, a tree, whatever. Yeah, because you're still eating something exactly. once alive. <laughs> so, you know, even though I know this is kind of an uncomfortable topic for our, our vegan or vegetarian uh, listeners, but it is all sacred. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's the thing to remember. That yeah, is the thing was... that frequently frustrates me about vegetarians. Like, <laughs> I don't kill anything to eat. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Babe, you do. It's on your plate. <laughs> I uh, I was actually came to the conclusion while I was doing all of this research that, like, I would be really honored to be invited to be a part of an animal sacrifice with somebody who knows what they're doing mm-hmm. and how to do it properly. Currently, I don't think I could because I don't know how to do it in a way that wouldn't be bad. Tra- tra- traumatic. traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. That that wouldn't be just me fumbling around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have to be properly trained to mm-hmm. perform an animal sacrifice right. or, or even correct animal butchery. Yeah. There was also apparently a, a common thing for Poseidon uh, where you would drown a horse to try mm-hmm. to calm Poseidon, which mm-hmm. in Greek culture and Roman culture, honestly, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Horses were beasts of burden more than anything. Right now, mm-hmm. horses are a luxury. At the time, they were just a part of life. Sometimes you would kill and eat your horse mm-hmm. in... In a really desperate <laughs> time, yeah. Well, and horses were very important to Poseidon. He actually mm-hmm. fathered Pegasus and uh, another magical horse. I think maybe centaurs are related to him, too. Because mm-hmm. we have this relationship between humans and animals. The animals perform services. Right, we have symbiotic relationships with mm-hmm. a lot of animals yeah, um, yeah. that we don't think of as symbiotic, no, but like but they are. But they are. Mm-hmm. Cats domesticated themselves because it was beneficial to both parties. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then we've got in we've got a transformation. We've got the mythologies where humans are transforming into animals, either mm-hmm. of their own will or, or <laughs> because it's a, been a curse. Uh-huh. You know, like one of or a uh, punishment. A punishment. For uh, with Hakati, one of uh, one of the maid servants uh, or priestesses of the goddess of uh, childbirth, mm-hmm. against Hera's wishes, you know she had been uh, extending the goddess of, of childbirth had been extending the pain basically and, and labor of uh, one of Zeus's many paramours, mm-hmm. and so the the maid servant or the priestess had pity on her and was able to convince the goddess to stop and allow the woman to have the children. Hera cursed her and turned her into a pole cat because of this. Hakati took pity on her, and so she became associated as a sacred animal and companion to Hakati. Often you see someone transformed into, like, an animal or something like that and then, like, placed in the stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Mm-hmm. There's also the the sort of lesson basis of mm-hmm. you are an animal, so you learn something. And yeah. then There's a story about the Buddha, I believe, where he has some kind of an interaction with a rabbit and then places the rabbit in the moon. Then there's the whole thing with um, the Minotaur, you know, woman has sex with a bull, births a minotaur, and because of that taboo, right. this creature mm-hmm. then becomes seen as... A monster. monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though it wasn't his choice no. <laughs> to, be, to be created. Another type of animal that I wanted to talk about is the special animals. Unicorns? Uh, like unicorns, or even simpler than that, like the white stag, mm. which is like an object of obsession for mm. a lot of especially like Arthurian mm-hmm. stories. The animal that has some quality which marks it as important. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. interestingly, a lot of those types of animals have a tendency to be white. Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. white whale, the white yep. stag, mm-hmm. those sort of things that you 
you see them and they're marked as important because they are right. mm-hmm. this sort of, they stick out. This, this distinctive. And what's interesting is that animals which actually have that kind of albinism or leucism or whatever condition it is that is making them white, those animals are usually A, unwell, mm-hmm. and B, don't live very long. No, because they have terrible camouflage. Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> it's interesting. They sort them. Yeah, so it's interesting that we as humans regard this, like, very badly adapted mm-hmm. animal as the special sacred important one. It's, so it's, it's almost like a... Like the original underdog story. <laughs> like, <laughs> this animal is doomed, but very important. <laughs> or very important because they live a fragile existence. Right. Mm-hmm. That could also be. Because you rarely see one because mm-hmm. they are usually mm-hmm. eaten very early well, in life. And at a time when people didn't really know what albinism was, mm-hmm. if you saw a completely white stag, it would seem like, I would assume, it would seem like something about this thing has been... It's been blessed. Mm -hmm. Been blessed, been marked in some Mm -hmm. way. Like, why is this thing so unique? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I mean, there are a few white deer Mm -hmm. currently alive. There are some photos you can find of of some recent ones. And they're very compelling to Mm -hmm. look at. Well, there's white squirrels, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, beautiful. They're very beautiful, and they're And they're unique. no less bastardy than regular squirrels. <laughs> Some of it might honestly just boil down to human nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We attribute a specialness to things that are unusual or different, or just for some reason, it has. we have attached a symbolism mm-hmm. or, a, or a meaning to this creature, and it becomes important. Uh, speaking of symbolism, I actually wanted to talk about the the differing symbolisms that are put on animals depending on the culture. Like okay. black cats. Yes. So black cats in a lot of Western cultures, but specifically in the U.S. and uh, Europe, mm-hmm. are seen as unlucky. Like deeply unlucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like black you cats... should kill them if you run across them because they will bring you intense misfortune. I actually tracked that back mm-hmm. to the person who who codified that. In 1233, Pope Gregory the Ninth. Oh my god, it was of course it was a Pope. <laughs> Pope Pope Gregory the Ninth made an announcement that black cats were a personification of the devil. Mm-hmm. Oh and that's and that what they got is associated with witches. Um, this dumb motherfucker. It was a superstition before that. Uh-huh. But um, it got to the point where during the Salem witch trials, having a black cat mm-hmm. could get you burned as a witch. Well, and even to this day, black cats are notoriously hard to adopt. Yep. The, so adoption agencies actually avoid adopting out black cats during certain times of the year, especially around Halloween. Because it could be dangerous. Because there is a a chance that someone will be adopting the cat specifically to kill it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, so what I found out was after the Pope made that announcement back in the 1200s, Christians were so intense about trying to prove themselves worthy by getting rid of these cats Mm -hmm. that cats were nearly extinct in several parts of Europe at the time. Jesus Mm. Christ. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, that is specifically why I wanted to adopt a black cat. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, of course, it's the witchy aesthetic. Yes. but um, And also, no, he's just extremely cute. He's, he's adorable. adorable. But seriously, that was one of the things. Right. If give, I was, give a black cat a good home. I was going to give a black cat a good home because it is so hard mm-hmm. for them to find good homes. Yeah. yeah. Wales and Japan uh, and a couple different places, uh, cats are known as good luck. Like, mm-hmm. intensely good luck. Yeah. In Japan, they're specifically seen as 
good luck towards single women drawing in a, a, a good partner. Mm-hmm. So, and honestly, some of that, I do wonder, if some of it's just the, the different cultural color associations? Mm-hmm. Probably. Where in, at least in the U.S., I know, mm-hmm. um, black is, symbolizes death and all these things, mm-hmm. but in other places, white is the color of death and black is the color of something else entirely. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially in, like, Asia. But yeah, so I just think it's it's fascinating that these associations are really culturally based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not, it's not the animal themselves. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah snakes are a really big one, too, for yes. that, for, mm-hmm. for differing cultural perceptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, the reason you see a snake on the staff of Asclepius is that snakes were associated with health and healing Healing. in Greece. Mm -hmm. And then in like most of Western canon, they're like evil deceivers. That's because Because of the Bible story. The serpent. Uh Yeah, the serpent deceived Eve. So Mm -hmm. snakes were then considered evil. (laughs) Um, We did actually have someone on the Patreon say, I asked what what people's favorite animals were in in a religious pagan context mm-hmm. and someone said dragons were their favorite animal well and i, and I was I, like well a mythological animal but close enough <laughs> yeah well and i think it's important to note like in you know in modern paganism and witchcraft uh people work with animal spirits and whether that's a a or an actual animal i think it's only an animal spirit if it's a real animal that ever lived that's what i'm talking if about if it's like a dragon spirit you're working with something more ephemeral. an elemental yeah. yeah some something that's more I, um spirit based i am curious as to where the mythos of the dragon originated like we have a whole episode about we that. Oh, wonderful because <laughs> i'm gonna go back and listen to that because how we have theories what combination of animal did there's, someone see there's a variety of theories <laughs> yes there is um, Oh, this is kind of an aside, but I think it still sort of fits. Um, if you go back to, like, illuminated manuscripts from, like, oh my God, the medieval yes. times. Mm-hmm. When they were people so bad at animals. only heard uh-huh. of animals mm-hmm. and never seen them. Yeah. So they're like, okay, this is what a giraffe is based on word of mouth. The secondhand description. <laughs> yeah. Very, I, my favorite thing is that, like, probably 95% of medieval manuscript artists believed with their whole heart and their whole ass <laughs> that lions were just dogs with wide faces. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen some of those illustrated manuscripts. And it, yeah, and it's yeah. like clearly no. No, somehow the it's a cat thing got lost in translation. <laughs> animals in modern paganism and, mm-hmm. and working with animal the spirits of animals a lot of people have a familiar, and of course, familiars go way back. I mean, uh, the right. concept and we're not of a even, familiar. We're not even necessarily animals. Right. It, not originally. Yeah. Originally, which, they were a type of, of spirit. <laughs> which I think we do have an episode about yes, familiars. We do. Yeah. We do. Nowadays, really, I think uh, a witch's familiar tends to be it's more usually of a, pet. <laughs> a, a pet or a companion animal. But uh, as magical practitioners, we can work with the spirits of animals mm-hmm. in different workings. Like, I have this whole article that I wrote about squirrels mm-hmm. um, and working with squirrel spirit squirrel and, vibes. and power and vibes if you need a lot of extra energy. If you need to be a bastard. If you need to be a bastard or if you need industriousness uh-huh. and uh, being clever to hide your shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. At the store that I work at, we have uh, stone animals that we sell that have that come with little card descriptors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and People keep coming up and asking me, like, uh, do I pick the animal that represents me? How do I know? And I'm like, you know, read through the descriptions and decide what you want to embody. Mm-hmm. And then 
pick that. That's mm-hmm. the best way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I find it really interesting to to work with for astral travel to work with birds. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people work with birds know, in an to, astral context. Yeah. yeah, so that you can kind of see through the the eyes of of this bird as it's flying. Okay, so this is really anecdotal, but one time I was going on a hedge walk, mm-hmm. and in the course of the walk, there was a rabbit that I'm like, ah, animals, usually interesting to follow in these things. Oh, no, it was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> For those listeners, because, you know, we have a lot of beginners, can you explain what a hedge walk is and, and how you are a hedge witch? Right. So in hedge witchery, there's a thing called hedge walking or hedge riding, which is essentially, it's typically described as like literally straddling one foot in the real world, one foot in a different plane and just exploring to see what is there. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of an astral practice. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an, an astral, astral practice. practice. I've heard some people refer to it as shamanism, but mostly because that's like a term that people understand, not because it's necessarily an accurate term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's not really. No. Yeah. So you had a rabbit lead you into a trap? No, the rabbit was the trap. Oh, the rabbit was. The rabbit the was like, the rabbit was just really cute, and then it just sort of started to melt <laughs> in a weird way, and there was a whole, like, pit I was getting sucked into, and then a tree threw me out. Okay. <laughs> nice tree. By the ankle. Uh-huh. <laughs> so have you ever worked with, with animal spirits? In a, in a couple of different ways, yeah. So when I was a teenager, one of the illegal witch books I read, and I do not remember which one. It might have been one of yours that Probably. I, like, snuck out of your room. <laughs> Ted Andrews. Uh-huh. When I was a teenager, I read a book that that talked about um, embodying animal traits, oh, yeah. like working with an animal spirit that had a trait you needed. That sounds like so, Ted Andrews, yeah. So I used to, when I was in gym class, be like, please, spirit of whatever animal is good with running. Help me run this fucking mile. A cheetah. Uh-huh. A horse. So, so I'd be like, please, horse, help me run. That was my 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 very first baby witch, like, <laughs> dear spirits, please help me. Yeah. And the but, reason Ode says illegal books is because uh-huh. I had this ridiculous belief at the time, because that was the belief at the time in the circles, the, the witchcraft circles that I traveled, mm-hmm. is that, that witchcraft should only be practiced by 18-year-olds and by, up. Uh, by adults. This was before Silver Ravenwolf's yeah. uh, teen witch book. Yeah, um, and I was like 13 or 14 yeah, yeah. and just really wanted to be really, included. Really, really. <laughs> I took you guys to some stuff. You but, did. We went yeah. to a few a few pagan prides and yeah. stuff like that. But I, I desperately wanted to be studying, I so I was like sneaking your books out of I your room. I know you were. I know you were. <laughs> so I did a little bit of that, right? And but like it wasn't super serious. But I think the stuff I do now, I've had a few encounters in an astral space with uh, at least various animal-shaped spirits. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if... I think I've talked about Kedtha mm-hmm. on, on the podcast yeah. a long, long time ago. And I don't know if Kedtha is a stag or is just shaped like mm-hmm. a stag, but that was my interaction with Kedtha was as right. a stag. No, I don't I don't work too much directly with animal spirits, mm-hmm. I don't think. I mm-hmm. work with my... I, I work with my ancestors and with, like, stone spirits and other right. inanimate spirits more often. I do tend to work more, obviously, with plants and uh, stones, but I the it, it's usually if there's a specific need. You've got the the terminology that that is strictly for it within like a, a yeah. I don't say totem and I don't say yeah, spirit animal. Exactly. So totem and spirit animal. So what I really mean, what I'm what I'm trying to say is the the spirits of a particular An animal, animal spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That embodies something, an energy or an intention or something that I'm working toward. 
or honestly, sometimes just want to experience, mm-hmm. that's when I will reach out to that overarching spirit of an- of that particular animal. I guess I should also mention that I do have a filcha, which is like a piece of my soul that is in the shape of an animal. Okay. That's a Norse thing. But a filcha is not an animal spirit. Right. It's a part of you that is associated with and represented by an animal. Gotcha. Like um, Damon's from that one. Yeah, uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Similar. Raina Gray, Gray says, a different witchy podcast I follow recently talked about using the spirit of gnats oh. as a way to empower yourself to be an active pest in certain situations, like when you normally wouldn't pester someone to get back to you over an important email, but you do really need to get that fucking info from them. Mm-hmm. Channel gnat energy. Well, again, you know, I, I... That's going back to that, like, insects, animals, too. Yeah, yeah, you can actually, you know, work with mm-hmm. a, a gnat or an ant mm-hmm. or uh, these different these different creatures if you feel an affinity for them. Like, so I think I wrote about working with some kind of an insect mm-hmm. and uh, a, a reader was like, ew. And I said, well, you know, obviously, if you don't feel an if affinity... If you don't vibe with it, don't do it. If you don't vibe with it, but if you feel... Uh, drawn to work with the energy and spirit of butterfly for transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with the caterpillar. Actually, that's an interesting thing. In our batch of, like, animal statues, we have ladybugs and mm-hmm. butterflies, mm-hmm. and no one bats an eye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess, I keep thinking, I, I was like, oh, no, I don't work with animals at all. And then I'm thinking, like, well, but. But. but so I, so I, I guess when you think it, like. Technically speaking, Fenrisulfur and Jormungandr are just really big divine animals. Because uh-huh. Fenrisulfur just is a wolf. Jormungandr just is yes. a big snake. Yep. So I do work with both of them. How about you, Jackson? Do you work with any uh, animals in particular? Not really. Mm-hmm. No, honestly, I really don't. Back before I was informed that spirit animals were not a thing mm-hmm. and don't fucking do it, you know, took one of those like quizzes in high school. That's about as far as I got with, uh-huh. with mm-hmm. animals. That's why I got out of the 2000s with count them one tribal tattoo and it's a fox <laughs> and a wolf. Because I am a product of my time. (laughs) And after I exited high school, I was educated and went, oh, no. (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. So one other thing I did want to talk about is that there is some evidence, disputed obviously, that there are some animals which exhibit in themselves ritual or religious behavior. Oh, interesting. So this shows up mostly in burial behaviors. Mm. So elephants. elephants are the big one. Elephants will Jackson's over here getting excited. Uh-huh. Elephants will bury not only other elephants, but they'll bury rhino that they find, mm-hmm. they'll bury calves that they find from from other troops. They'll sometimes bury dead humans that they find. Like if they if they come across a human who died out in the savanna, they'll bury the human. And they have these. It's not just like oh they dump some dirt over mm-hmm. over the corpse. They dig. A they had they no. Oh. But but they have this il, these elaborate rituals that are consistent from one burial to the next. Mm. They have grief procedures. They decorate the the grave oh, with flowers and fruit. And generally, once a year, they go back and visit. They go. They 
they go visit wow. the gravesite. And it's not only elephants who do this. Yeah, they're just the most well-known, I would say, El- because yeah. they are considered to be an extremely intelligent animal, mm. so people study them a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And people are more willing to accept, like, oh, this elephant is exhibiting some kind of ritual behavior. But we've also seen chimpanzees exhibit grief behaviors mm-hmm. and funereal behaviors. We've actually seen chimpanzees. So when a member of a chimpanzee troop dies, there's a there's a, a period of silence mm-hmm. where no one makes any noise in the troop. And then the chimps all will, like, bring the kids mm-hmm. to view the body. Oh, wow. And then they'll make, like, specific grief calls, mm-hmm. like lamenting calls that only happen after a chimpanzee has died. Mm-hmm. And then they bury the chimpanzee. Like, they bury the corpse. Suspiciously similar to, mm-hmm. like, viewings and mm-hmm. funerals that humans have. Dolphins, we've had evidence of, like, dolphins will guard the corpse of someone from their pod. Mm-hmm. Like, they won't let humans get it a- anywhere near, near right? to, like, investigate the cause of death or, or anything for, like, days. Mm. Crows... Hold and, and other corvids hold vigils over dead members for hours and will scare off predators and scavengers until like uh, everyone in the the flock has has come and seen and discussed the death. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is just continued evidence to me. We are all connected. We're all part of this beautiful nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not above it. We are a part of it. Exactly. Yeah. And we can, and we recognize our own rituals and behaviors in, in the wider animal kingdom because we're all together. It's slowly starting to become more accepted that humans are just a different type of animal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And two, our level of intelligence is not necessarily unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just um, different. And, mm-hmm. and our... Well, and it's not even, this is the thing, it's not even necessarily that different. Mm-hmm. Because the what distinguishes uh, ritual religious behavior mm-hmm. is symbolic thinking. But we're witnessing that in, in some, of, some these, of these animal groups. In some of these burial and funeral mm-hmm. rituals. So so burial and funeral rituals are the big one. But there have also there's also been some, some evidence, especially by primatologists, mm-hmm. which are people who study primates, that certain groups of... It's usually chimpanzees. Chimpanzees are the ones that are, like, the most Mm human-ish in sort of their behaviors Mm -hmm. and and, um, their intergroup relationships and how they seem to think and order their world. There are some scientists who believe that chimpanzees who do a little, like, when it rains, they do a little, like, celebratory rain dance. Mm -hmm. There are some primatologists who say that is a religious ritual Mm -hmm. that like that is the chimpanzee equivalent of a rain dance Mm -hmm. this is this isn't like they're not playing they're not like just getting like like washing off they're doing this and they do it the same way every time and it's like amongst different troops amongst different Mm -hmm. troops and it's like it is a ritual recognition of rain happened right which is a good thing Uh uh-huh yeah i will say by the by uh yes to, to the like the the sort of Primates are very close to human, mm-hmm. and, and from the anthropology perspective, uh, primatologists, um, and specifically Jane, Good, Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. are a part of the anthropology community. One of my professors was a primatologist. So it's this, like, it's close enough that it's an associated, like, sister field. Right, because you can apply some, like, anthropology mm-hmm. practices and studies to the study of primatology. And that's how people 
are like, oh yes, this seems to be a religious practice because you look at other religious practices that are quite similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Speaking of funerary practices, by the by, there are several, honestly, that animals are an integral part of, specifically air burials. Yes, sky uh, burials. Sky burials, there we go. Um, where you place a body on like a cliffside on a mountain and mm-hmm. let the birds pick mm-hmm. the bones clean. Mm-hmm. And it's seen, it's seen as like a very sort of freeing way to, to die. Yep. Well, to be, you oh, know, consumed. Be. Right. Preferably after you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, not a Prometheus situation. Yeah, not a Prometheus situation. This is not a Hitchcock's The Birds. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a, you're dead and this is how your corpse is disposed of. Right. Yes. <laughs> correctly. Yeah, so, and, like, that process doesn't happen without vultures and, mm-hmm. and other scavengers. There, so there's also some debate about whether even Neanderthal had religious ritual. Oh, yeah. There are... I, there I, are there's some fascinating uh, material out there about mm-hmm. about the burial sites of Neanderthals. Yeah, so, so there are some people who insist, like, no, Neanderthals did not have religion. They didn't have ritual. These were not really burials. But the evidence is starting to stack up against mm-hmm. them. Yeah, there's just a contingent of people that want desperately for humans to be unique. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But it does look like Neanderthal did bury their dead mm-hmm. um, and that they did have art and religious ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and they intermarried with us. So they we got inter- a little bit of that as, yep, as well. They did intermarry with Cro-Magnon. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to eventually lead to the modern human genome. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that, like, because you can see a, a group of scientists who clearly thinks of Neanderthal as an animal. Mm-hmm. Rather than a human. A human ancestor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Just a different branch of the human family. And I think it's sort of fascinating to read the studies from the group who consider Neanderthal an animal. switch flipped. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 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 like... You can see that same kind of thinking in the papers of the people who are like, elephants don't really bury their dead. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you're just being deliberately obtuse at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because a lot of creation myths see humanity as something like purpose-made mm-hmm. and special and unique. Intentional. Intentional mm-hmm. in that way. So it's... Scary to mm-hmm. people to think that there are other species out there that show the same traits because mm-hmm. what differentiates? Mm-hmm. Or that there were additional humans, yeah. a different branch of humanoid in the early in, in the, the tree. early early in the tree, yeah. who um, who were part and parcel of our of our ancestry and make us who we are today. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, there's actually a a study done for. Um, specific traits you can see generally in the skull where you can tell that somebody had Neanderthal ancestors because mm-hmm. they have a very prominent brow bone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sort of like uh, shadowed eyes and yeah. a very prominent forehead. Mm-hmm. And so there's a strong Neanderthal trend in the DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to trace it back, mm-hmm. I suppose. So I think it's about time we start uh, honoring Neanderthals and honoring the fact that they had, as far as the evidence is beginning to really, like you said, stack up, show that they had uh, religious practices, they had burial practices, they mm-hmm. had beliefs. Yeah. They were people who had their own way of life. Mm-hmm. It, it goes all the way back to the cave paintings, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the rituals of the hunts and, and uh, the importance of animals to the various peoples, the ancient peoples who were making those paintings and, and carvings of animals and however they considered them, whether they considered them sacred or important because they were vital to survival. Um, I think that's important that that 
it, it goes all the way all the way back mm-hmm. to our ancient most ancient of ancestors. I do also think that the um, the vital to survival leads into the religious significance. Mm-hmm. Like if if we had no association with animals, there would be far less evidence. I I think of them being important culturally and religiously. Yeah. If they were just existing in the same space. Mm-hmm. Pliny the Elder. Oh, Pliny. Pliny. Pliny believed that elephants were astrologers. Oh, oh he, yeah. He believed that elephants followed the course of stars and, like, ordered their lives around planetary movements. Mm-hmm. Honestly, and they're interesting not be dude. surprised. Well, but, and the thing is, he may have gotten right. this impression from observation mm-hmm. because... There is some evidence that elephants follow the tracks of stars navigationally. Mm-hmm. Well, Pliny the Elder was uh, one of the early naturalists mm-hmm. before yeah. naturalists were a thing. Yeah, people so, look so back Pliny was at Pliny the Elder as uh-huh. something of a hack because he had a lot of odd ideas, um, and many of them have now been proven incorrect. But like for his time, he for, was a visionary for the was. science of his day. Pliny also clearly had met like elephants that had been trained because he talks about how like they're very intelligent they can understand the language of the country they're in they they remember things that you teach them they are very good companions um and then he just like wraps up his little section on elephants with and also they're astrologers and they order their lives by the stars and probably what happened was Mm -hmm. he he noticed he noticed elephants navigating by the stars and was like, I see you, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, is he was a very observant individual, Mm -hmm. and he he based his theories on his observations. Mm -hmm. Like I said, he was one of the earliest of the naturalists. So I think that's all I had to go Yeah, that's the last that I have to say, unless we segue into, like, tangent topics. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think think we've covered it all. You know, we barely scraped the surface, so as always, we encourage you to do your Mm -hmm. own research and Mm -hmm. your own study. And And I recommend doing your animal research sort of the same way I recommend doing your stones research. Mm -hmm. I like to go to the science first and extrapolate my magical associations from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I will say, at least on the the plant side, side of things, I study plants scientifically and also mm-hmm. magically, and mm-hmm. what I found is the... the science and specifically the history mm-hmm. of, of plants and their uses is what leads to their current magical mm-hmm. yeah. properties it, it today. It informs their exactly. qualities. It does. Like, this is a super specific example, but um, blessed thistle is also known in some places as cursed thistle because when the Danes were invading Scotland, they were going around barefoot, and the Scots would plant blessed thistle around their home so that when they were being snuck up on at night, you would step on it and panic and make noise and you'd go out and find him. So now blessed thistle is regarded as being a good prevention of theft. Anybody mm-hmm. tells you Vikings were tough manly men, remind them that Vikings had soft souls too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I agree. I concur. Go to the science, go through observation, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, start with the facts mm-hmm. and move on from there. Yeah, build on that. Because yep. they'll lead into each other. They'll lead into each other. It's amazing. Yeah, it's all it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. All right. Okay, I'm find us on Google. If you Google the number three and the words pagans and a cat, or the number three and the letters P-A-A-C, we have a Facebook and a Discord where you can connect with our community. We have a Patreon and a Ko-Fi where you can help support us and keep our lights on. Gwyn has a TikTok and... 
Patheos Pagan. Yep, and a Patheos Pagan blog that she updates occasionally. And I think that's everything. I think that's pretty much everything. Okay. For right now. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, goodbye. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.